0: All right, let's go. You down with DND? Yeah, you know me. You down with DND?
1: Yeah, you
0: know me. You down with DND? Yeah, you know me. You down with DND? You down with DND? You down with DND? Yeah, you know me. Get down with DND? Yeah, I'm down with DND. Yeah, you know me. You down with DND? Yeah, you know Are you ready to get down with some DND? I know I'm not I'm joined by the Misty Mature and monumental mad wizard merwin what is up sean
1: we're we're both up chris you and i are both up it's it's the
0: beginning of your day the end of my day it's a wonderful arrangement that we've come to here
1: yeah so we'll see how this goes but we may actually be more focused than we have been in months in months okay mm-hmm. well let's get to some announcements then right mm-hmm. all right so what's a what's the
0: first thing i hear there's a lot of new stuff up in the dms guild recently
1: wow is there uh, I, I, I'm going to touch on just a few of them, but a lot of stuff went up in the last couple of weeks. I feel like uh, if you first... just
0: come back week after week, Sean will just keep talking about cool things around the DMs
1: Guild. It, it's true. It's true. I do spend a lot of time there. And so the first thing I want to talk about was Uncaged. It is a collection of myth and uh, folklore-themed adventures written for 5th edition. Uh, each original adventure subverts tropes around a female mythological monster or creature, including hags, harpies, medusas, and much, much more. So this uh, just went up maybe two or three days ago as of our recording, and it's already Electrum, if not Gold. It's
0: Gold. I just looked.
1: Yep. So, yes. Great stuff. Written by um, a lot of underrepresented folks in the industry. I know that there are many uh, women authors in this collection as well as many uh, LGBTQIA authors. So, you know, a a good mix of adventures and content from people that you might not have heard from before. Man, that that author list is huge and cool. Yeah, it is. It is. So definitely check that out um, if you are into... I love the concept of it. You know, I love this. I love the concept of subverting... Of Subversion in general. Um, So taking these stories that we've all come to know as tropes in in D&D, you know, the evil hag, so on, and turning that on its ear, to me, is is wonderful.
0: Uh, I agree. I'm actually buying it right now because I want it. Yep. So I don't know what the next thing is because I'm busy buying a thing. Okay, everybody, you should go buy Uh, this. It looks awesome.
1: (laughs) so, So the next thing is something that I contributed to. So take that with a grain of salt. It is Tactical Maps Adventure Atlas. So I talked about this last week uh, that that I was working on it with a bunch of other guild adepts. So this is 88 ready-to-play encounters are here to save game night. Wizards of the Coast put out a product called Tactical Maps Reincarnated, where they took old maps from old uh, D&D adventures and published them so people could use them in their home games. What these maps lacked, of course, were adventures to go with them, so that's what the Gilded apps have been working on for the last few months, um, even though it feels like the last few months has only been a week um,
0: <laughs> oh man,
1: because i I did the editing on it, so i've my eyes hurt but if you just need to pick up uh, a short adventure or even a long encounter, um, there's a wide variety of content in this uh, adventure covers every level from one to 20 with at least three or four different, um, adventures or encounters. So, you know, some of them, it depends on the map for some maps that they put in this pack. It's a full dungeon. So you could get almost probably, you know, a three or four hour adventure out of it. Some of the maps are just like one area. So those, um, Those in the product are probably going to be more like longer encounters rather than full adventures, Mm -hmm. but they all have backstories, they all have uh, good dungeon dressing for the maps, so it'll tell you what's what, why it's there, and then um, over top of that, we've laid different adventures that you could could use. That's
0: really awesome. I I mean, I can tell you just from my personal experience, you can get a lot of play out of like one map that is like one encounter like there's mm-hmm. even in a like especially with D&D 5th edition in fact i just played a game not too long ago where there was one map and i mean like like one room area map and mm-hmm. we got a good hour and a half to 2 hours of play out of that out of that particular session that particular area
1: yep and and what i really like about this uh, adventure atlas is even if you don't use it straight up to run your game from there are so many different adventure hooks adventure ideas that you could just pick up one of these hooks and run basically a full campaign from it and it's a lot of different uh styles of play, a lot of different ideas uh from many different authors. I think maybe ten or so of the Guild of Depths contributed something, so it's you know it's a it's a wide range of content that you can use
0: cool. I, uh, I I hope everybody goes and checks that out and, uh, and picks it up if they, you know. It, it seems like a really good thing to have, like, um, either to help you, like you said, start adventures, or to, like, you know, fill in things when you need to fill in things you don't feel like doing the work yourself.
1: Yep. I mean, some of the maps are a road. So if you're traveling and you need something, grab one of the road maps, look at what's on there, and see what, you know, what happened. Awesome. Uh,
0: yep. The next thing you wanted to mention was Mert's Undermountain Survival Guide. Now, first off, everyone, like... The writers on this, it's M.T. Black, Greg Marks, and James Intercaso. So it's probably going to be good.
1: Yes, I would say so. So if you are going into Undermountain, this gives both DMs and players new uh, things to play with. So they have five new races, the Gif, the Half Ogre, the Illithid, the Nimble Wright, and the Sprite. Five new archetypes. Um, The Cavern Domain for Clerics, the Circle of Stone for Druids, the Wayfarer, the TrapSmith, and the Dark Pact. A new full class called the Factotum. Um, So if you've played for more than one edition, you know that that's sort of a sage-like class. 25 new spells, 50 new magic items, new rules for Dungeoneering, Underground Hazards, um, porters guides and other hirelings you can use in the game plus mertz dungeon delving tips so that's a that's a good sized product right there a lot of new content especially if you are looking for the on the player side of things
0: yeah and uh real quick it's it's 20 percent off right now it's cheaper for mm-hmm. a little while it's a right. it's, it's eight dollars instead of ten so you might want to yep. get it if you're, if you're thinking about getting it you should probably grab it
1: yep that's that's true for both mertz and for adventure atlas um, they've been put on a sale for its initial run, so within a couple of weeks, that price will go up to its regular price. Hey,
0: did you mention that Chris Lindsay's in this too, supplying the voice of Mert?
1: Yes. Well, I didn't. I didn't say it, but that was the the last thing I talked Mert's dungeon delving tips. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's Chris Lindsay adding his kind of sidebar, you know, little nuggets to the event to the product, which is pretty fun, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, hey, you know what else, Chris? Yeah. An adventure by you is just hit Silver Cellar. It's really cool. Like I'm um
0: So this is one of the ones I'm actually rather proud of. Like I'm not proud of all of my adventures, but I actually like this one quite a bit.
1: Yep. It's called Moon two One, Defender of Care More by one Christopher Snezak. Um so Baldman Games, as we've talked about, is doing the uh Moonshay Isles trilogies as part of the ccc program and the first adventure we put out was a a four short adventures but now we're hitting the trilogy with the with the moon two uh trilogy and you did the first one i did is is this the very first one that came out to this trilogy this is the first trilogy and yours is the first adventure of the first trilogy weird that's that's weird it's no pressure right no no pressure whatsoever but hey it just hits uh silver seller status on the DM Guild, so people are, people are purchasing it. And the other two of the trilogy, the second and the third, are also out. Uh, the second one is called Army of the Unseen, mm-hmm. and the third is called The Eye in the Mist. So there's a whole trilogy of Moonshade Isles adventure waiting for you to purchase. And uh, the Moon 3 trilogy is being worked on as we speak. And hopefully within the next few weeks, that will be out as well. I can tell you
0: this this adventure, it starts with a big battle. So there you go. Okay. And I mean, like, you will not fight one encounter. There's like a number of them. So you should Mm -hmm. pick it up if you're looking for something like that. There you go. Uh, So Michael Benensky, you know, we love Michael Benensky around here. He he has always got good information. He scooped Eberron on Twitter for something?
1: Yeah, well, he was, I was reading a a thread and all of a sudden uh, Michael asked Rudy Rutenberg, you know, what's going on with the next Eberon product? And I didn't even really click that there was a new Eberon product coming out for the Guild. And Rudy said, oh, yes, uh, because of our schedules, it's going to drop on March 17th. Well, that, that's three days from now. So by the time this show drops, it will probably already be out. So check it out. It is called duh, 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 More Graves Miscalini. I'm interested. Like, I'm curious. Yeah, And i I'm, I'm I've reached out to Rudy to see if he can talk either you know just chat with us or uh give us a rundown on what's going to be in the product of course, by the time it comes out uh, we will, or by the time the next show comes around, we probably already know uh, but it's interesting uh the last product that they put on uh, that Rudy and uh, Keith Baker put up was also contributed to directly by Wizards of the Coast. So it went up on the DMs Guild as a PDF product, but it was an official Wizards release. Uh, this, I'm not sure if it's another official Wizards release or if it's something that Rudy and Keith and, and others worked on. So that will be interesting uh, to see as well.
0: And will be interesting to see if that what that looks like. I'm, I'm We're going to know next week. It's fine. Mm-hmm. We'll let you know. I'll, yeah. I'll know then.
1: Yep. And, and with the release of the... Uh, artificer that we talked about last week, it's interesting to know you know, where this is heading.
0: Yeah, I mean, they have an Eberron guide out there on the DMs Guild. I mean, I feel like they'll just kind of flesh that out and eventually make it like a print-on-demand thing if people want it. That would be my guess, yes.
1: right? Yeah, I, I have no idea. That's why it's it's interesting that uh, more and more Eberron stuff coming from Keith uh, and Rudy uh, directly, plus Weather Wizard's also uh, worked on this or not, is interesting to me.
0: Mm-hmm. So DM David, he's, he's at it again. He's got these two new blog posts, and, and you are loving them. I haven't had a chance to read them yet.
1: Okay, yeah. So these two are hugely important to me, and they come back to back, which I think is not an accident. So the first one, I'm going to switch them around from the the way I put them in our show notes. Fair. The first one that came out was... Uh, bring the thrill of finding treasure back to the Adventurers League. So as people who play in the Adventures League know, for the eighth season, um, they changed the rules the way treasure and experience was done. And so for the eighth season, the campaign's new rules stop characters from keeping gold and magic that they find in the adventure. Instead, for each hour of play, they receive treasure points that are spendable on magic items, and when characters level, they receive an allowance of gold that they can use. This has, needless to say, been controversial within the adventures. Really? Who knew? (laughs) Any change within uh, an organized play campaign, since we're gamers, well, since we're human beings, um, tends to be controversial because... Once we like something, we don't want it to change, uh, even if it's for the better. And I'm not saying this is for the better or for the worse. I'm just saying it's something that has been done and it is controversial. Um, so what what DM David is talking about is um, he, he understands why some of these changes were made and some of them are for the better. But there is a certain feel that you get when you play D&D at its very core, one of those feelings is I am doing this because there is a tangible reward at the end for for the character, right? That I find gold, I get to keep that gold. And it takes away some of the um, immediacy and some of the gratification for players when... They're going through the dungeon. They go through the secret door that took them forever to find, fight the monster that was there, and then they find gold. But in their mind, they know that they're not really keeping that specific gold because um, this whole system has been built up to say, uh, you're going to get this gold, but it's just going to happen when you level level next. And it's not this gold. It's this imaginary gold (laughs) Of, it's all imaginary gold. Yeah, right. it's all it's but, all
0: pretend gold. So so it's it's but but Sean,
1: some pretend gold is just more real than other pretend gold. Exactly, and, and you know we I, we say that kind of jokingly, but but it's not. It's, right? it's not to some people. To some people, the the one pretend gold is more important than the other pretend well, gold. Well,
0: it's not about one and, pretend gold being more important. It's about it's about how you acquire the pretend gold.
1: Right, but but even then, you're you're acquiring it in the same way. You know, it's it's, you know, your imagination is different than my imagination is different than someone else's imagination. Mm-hmm. And so I, I can see all sides of this. Having been a an administrator in other organized play campaigns, we've all been through this multiple times with rules changing. And I, you know, I can practically see it coming from a mile away. I could write all of the rules that are going to change and then i could write the players responses to the rules put them in a sealed envelope hand it to someone and two years later they could open it and say you know he knew this was coming Mm -hmm. and and it just it's just the way of of organized play it's just the way of gamers um so anyway that was an interesting article all by itself then the following week his article, uh, D.M. David's article, was how years of trying to fix, fix obnoxious people shrank D&D's appeal. So this article talks about the transition from first, second to third, third to fourth, and fourth to fifth editions, and how some of that was driven by, and I'm going to quote Mike, Mike Merles, I'm going to quote D.M. David quoting Mike Merles. Um, this is the quote, D&D's 3.5 and 4th editions were very much driven by an anxiety about controlling the experience of the game, leaving as little as possible to chance. The designers aimed for consistency of play from campaign to campaign and table to table. The fear was that an obnoxious player or DM would ruin the game, and that would drive people away from it. The thinking was that if we made things as procedural as possible, people would just follow the rules and have fun regardless of who they played with. So this quote is hugely important um, in so many ways, whether you're talking about just as a consumer of D&D or as a designer for d d or as an organized play person or as a marketing person who's trying to grow the game. There are just so many avenues uh, to lead into this quote, and what you feel about it is going to be uh, colored by your experience within the game Mm -hmm. um if you're someone who's never had a game ruined by players that are obnoxious you know you might say well they don't need to to worry about obnoxious players Mm -hmm. Uh, if your whole focus like mine was was to create a organized play campaign that is a marketing tool to bring new players in Every obnoxious player is someone who is hurting your bottom line. That's true. It's completely true. Right. And so depending on how you're looking at it, it's either not a problem at all or a big problem or somewhere in between. So with fifth edition, what they tried to do was introduce a concept called DM empowerment. Um, the phrase, And this is DM David talking now. Yeah. The phrase may be misleading because the goal of DM Empowerment is not to tickle a DM's power fantasies. DM Empowerment lets DMs fill in the gaps in the rules and sometimes override the rules with their own judgment. DM Empowerment lets your wizard use spells outside of combat, among other things. Right. So with 5th edition, they are trying to get back to what, what was around for 1st and 2nd edition more, which is we're not going to give you a rule for everything. We're going to let the DM not just adjudicate, but override the rules when necessary to make the game fun for the players at his or her table.
0: Yes, and the, I think that is one of the hugest strengths of 5th edition compared to previous editions.
1: Right. What that does then is that reintroduces the problem of obnoxious people because when the rule when you can't point to the rule in the book and say this is why we're doing it this way then you have people who um, either thrive on conflict or are trying to quote unquote win the game or bringing their own sensibilities that may not match the sensibilities of a majority of the players who want to play the game. Mm-hmm. And so these two articles the organized play article and then this um the the one we just talked about about obnoxious people it it's all one in the same argument right yes kind of sort of yes
0: i mean, yeah. you, you... It, I mean
1: you can take it as two different topics but it's really the same thing it's we have a huge population of people who are getting into the hobby mm-hmm. maybe through watching streaming but not playing mm-hmm. We want them to play. How do we get them to play? Organized play is, is a means of doing that. How can we make the organized play um, scene as easy to get into as possible and as fun as possible given its inherent limitations?
0: Yeah, which I think is a huge task. Cause I don't, it is. I don't think that the Adventures League structure does a very good job of, of simulating or mimicking what a lot of those stream games look like.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So that then begs the question, how do you do that? Do you even want to try to do that? Is organized play a possibly a good means of that? And we could talk about this for not just this whole show, but several shows. Yes, we could. <laughs> but I have a lot of ju- opinions
0: and feels about that topic. I, I have thoughts.
1: <laughs> but, you know, I think one of the amazing things about DM David is he he can put an article up that you know is is very clear is very logical has great examples is funny but behind it are all of these questions that have been roiling around in the industry uh in the hobby for so many years it's it's been the question
0: i've been asking myself now for about about three or four months like um like the the adventurers league play style doesn't really, in my opinion, resonate like we said with the what what is going on on the internet as far as stream games go and what people are getting into the game for. Right. So like, how do you how do you how do you make those two things work together?
1: Yep. And and Paige Lightman had a great post up on Facebook about that. You know, she's like, here is how if you put it on a graph, here's what the Adventures League does, here's what streaming shows they're they're separate. We don't know how separate because it's it's a fluid thing. But how do you bring them closer together? And and should you even try? Because as soon as you start moving the Adventures League closer to what you see in most streams, then you're upsetting the base that you've already cultivated with the way you've been running it for the last 7 seasons. Here, here's the unpopular opinion that I'm about to give.
0: Uh-oh. Cuz this is I mean this is this is about bottom line, right? This is about how mm-hmm. how am I going to make my brand the most money. So this isn't necessarily my opinion. Like I think the Adventures League could just be its own thing on its own and, and just sit there, right? And do its thing. Um because that, that appeals to a very sp- specific kind of playstyle. There's a lot of people that like that playstyle. Now, how many more people are watching streams that are interested in playing D&D than there are people who are playing Adventures League right now? And if if the people who were in charge of the marketing side and the like, how-do-we-make-more-money side of D&D knew the answer to that, and that was like two-to-one on the streaming side, they would just change organized play. Mm-hmm. I mean, they would probably do it in a way to make it so that it is still in some ways appealing to the um, the people who are playing it right now. And I think this last set of rule changes was a, was a move in that direction, if you want my opinion. Right. Um, because mm-hmm. I think that that population is far larger than the people who are currently playing that style of game and like you said Sean that is their avenue in so uh, like, like, that is what WotC and D&D sees as their avenue in so I mean I think you'll start seeing more and more changes moving in that way
1: mm-hmm. it's true it's true so it'll be interesting to keep an eye so, on so as sorry, the months. Yeah,
0: sorry everybody who's playing organized play right now it's not going to be the same <laughs> in another
1: year or two it's going to keep changing uh, yeah well and and it it's it's always been like that though you know it's always been this season we'll try this and then we'll switch over and try something
0: else yeah so. absolutely i mean that's yeah. that's the good thing about the season structure right mm-hmm. you can just keep shifting how you are going to be presenting these rules right uh
1: Hey, let's do a Kickstarter round. Yeah,
0: here. I'm going to do that real quick. So I'm trying to get through this because we, we're like 25 minutes in. <laughs> so <laughs> the Humblewood campaign setting for 5th edition. So this is, uh, I'm, I'm just going to read this stuff. I don't have too many opinions. I have a couple of opinions. But uh, this campaign setting, it uh, includes original bird folk player races. In fact, all the characters that you play in this game are anthropomorphic or not even anthropomorphic. They're just animals, right? So this mm. this book has new player races, new monsters, new magic items, and a compelling adventure for 1st to 5th level characters. I love the art. Uh, that I saw there's also cards which have the art on the front side and the stats on the back Um, I think that this Kickstarter is interesting but it doesn't put what the different sections of the book will be inside of it like there's not a a good breakdown which Mm. I don't like that when people when Kickstarters don't do that it drives me crazy Mm. Uh, next one Arcana of the Ancients hey Monty Cook and games decided to come out with that book finally on Kickstarter and it's doing gangbusters I mean who knew right Mm. Yeah, right. So uh, here's the here's the text from it. At least the, the the intro paragraph. I think that's always a good thing to to read for like the feel. So, in the misty recesses of time, before the kingdoms and lands you know existed, before the elder elves, the dwarven ancestral lords, and even the dragons, civilizations undreamt rose and fell. And with their passing, they left behind remnants of the power they wielded. They built citadels of metal, glass, and light, now hidden away in the deepest recesses of the world. And crafted wonders have harnessed energies that we can only guess at. These places, objects, and even creatures can all be called Arcana of the Ancients. So that's what this book is about. Uh, it's got adventures in it. It's got technology in it, like uh, including the ciphers for Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition. So now you can have ciphers in your D and D game. There are uh, tons of creatures, and in fact, uh, there was supposed to be dozens. I think there's going to be like over a hundred now, because I think they hit their first stretch goal. Nice. Yep. And there'll be a bunch of GM advice in there for how to incorporate all these concepts into your campaign. And a bunch of player Mm -hmm. options for like mutations and cybernetics and more, which means if you wanted to play Gamma World and you couldn't or, you know, like old school, like first edition Gamma World, you probably can now.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, they've got a whole bunch of art and art is the most expensive stuff when you make a book. So you may as well use it. Oh Yeah, it's beautiful too. the art like there's new stuff, all sorts of new stuff. Uh, next
0: one, the Seas of Vodare, a fifth edition swashbuckling and sorcery book. So this is by the people over at Tribality, which is a pretty, in, uh, pretty impressive blog for fifth edition content and other things too. Uh, so, you know, it's weird. Like they, they must have been pre- like working on this thing for a while, and then that the the salt marsh thing came out, and they're probably like, "Well, yeah. damn, <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: whoopsie." <laughs> I mean, what do you do though, right? You just you just go forward. So right, um, right. You- so the the basic idea is this this Caesar Vodare. It's a it's a lot of islands around a maelstrom. So it's uh, for those people who are anime fans, it's got a bit of a One Piece vibe to it, to me. Minus the superpowers, right there. Uh, you can just go look up One Piece. I'm not going to explain it, N- if you want. Here's the rest of it. So there's new races and sub races, you know, uh, stuff and feats, you know, to create your seafaring adventurers. There's swashbuckling and sorcery inspired options for all 12 classes to fit a seafaring world. There's a gunslinger class with three subclasses, the arcane gunmaster, the pistolero and the musketeer, which I'm actually interested in that because I like guns in my in my role playing games, especially in my seafaring role playing games. Oh mm-hmm. uh, there's a new pantheon, there's new weapons and stuff, you'll there's flintlock pistols and rifles, uh spyglasses, there's new spells, magic items, all the good stuff that you expect out of a book like this. Uh powerful ancient relics though with a focus on sailing, naval mm-hmm. combat and underwater exploration. So there's all that good stuff. Like I said there's like a ton of islands, like over 30 different islands, a dozen cities, wilderness encounters, ruins, stuff like that. Advice for running swashbuckling adventures. Rules for duels, which is fascinating to me. I love I love new rules, Sean. You mean, come on. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's r- rules for social combat, rules for naval chases, which is fascinating because that's a big thing when you're doing um, any kind of ship-to-ship combat. Like, when somebody mm-hmm. tries to break off, like, how do they get away? Can they get away? Like, all that good stuff. Uh, there's right. plunder tables. There's the code of the sea, which are more like guidelines, right? <laughs> and an yeah. island with no name, which is a starter adventure for characters levels one through three. Uh you know, there's a there's a bunch of other stuff in there too. There's monsters. There's NPCs. There's also mm-hmm. cannons. You know, because cannons. Why not? I mean, all that good stuff. It's a 200 page book. It's either it's only in hardcover or PDF. No soft cover. Okay. So there you go. Uh, last thing. So this one amused me. I actually missed out on it. It's like in its last hour as I as we're talking about this on Kickstarter. But you can get a free version of it. It's called Lasers and Liches. So. This is an unbound universe bursting with half-faded memories, barely remembered songs, lost childhood friends, outdated styles, vaporware, abandoned dreams, lost playthings, more vaporware, and time-corroded nostalgia. It's a place both strange and familiar, a place for adventure, adventure, chaos, friendship, and the magic of yesteryear. In short, a place that combines your love of the present with your adoration of the past. It is like 16-bit nostalgia on crack. The Kickstarter <laughs> video itself was like this... This wonderful, like, oh look, I'm like playing a Super Nintendo game with, like, you know, <laughs> with like all of the cyberpunkness that I always wanted, and you know, MMOness and you know, badness. So nice, it's great. I love it. Uh, there's a if you want to get a pay what you want test version on Drive I'll have a link in the show notes, and you can search it on Drive Through RPG. Like they have this free, you know, it's like 80 pages or something like that. Uh, just free book you can grab that that'll kind of talk about it.
1: Nice. Oh, I did that in well, four minutes. <laughs> very, very good. That was a great rundown. There is just so much stuff coming out, so much news in D&D recently and for the last two years uh, that it's hard to cover. It's
0: just the, the problem is like, you know, like the like we could have done a whole show or two or three shows in the DM David articles,
1: right? Yeah, Exactly. <laughs>
0: So, I mean, well,
1: yeah, I think though we should talk about adventure design.
0: Yes, let's do that for the next 25 minutes because it's all the time we have left. Sounds
1: good. Well, we'll just do an overview then. Sure. So, so we spent three shows talking about encounter design uh, as encounters are the building blocks for adventures. Yep. And now we're going to talk about adventure design. Uh, just to be clear, this is a huge topic gigantic that we could spend many, 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 many hours talking about. It's huge. And, and we're not going to, uh, set a number on how many shows we're going to talk about adventure design on. Uh, it'll probably be more than a few, and we we'll, might take breaks in between to cover other topics. And when we're done, we'll be done. hmm So we could tackle this subject in a variety of ways, but we've decided to start by looking at um, a broader, shallower topic, kind of an overview. Yes. And then in later shows, we're going to dig in deeper into specific topics. So for this overview we'll treat this as a primer for what to think about as you start to design your adventure. Yeah, And we have five things that you should probably be thinking about
0: as you're starting to design your adventure.
1: Okay. Do you want want to start? Yeah,
0: First thing, uh, what is the length of your adventure? (laughs) So like how long do you want it to run for? Because sometimes that matters, right, Sean?
1: It absolutely does. Um, Are you writing this to put up on the DMs guild for uh, like for four hours of play? Then you know that you should be coming in at about eight or 10,000 words um, for a four-hour adventure. You know, you can get a pretty good idea of how many encounters you're going to need. Uh, now, if you're going to write an adventure that's one hour, that's a completely different animal. Yes. If you're going to write an adventure that has no specific length that could go on for for a while... Then um, you're going to design that much differently than you would an adventure that has uh, a set ending. Can I ask you a question, real quick? Yes.
0: Adventure. Can you can you define what we're talking about when we talk about adventure?
1: Yes, I think I can, Chris. And probably my definition will be different than something you would.
0: Say. Yeah, I just because I want something for us to. I, I want to be working from the same idea right. that you're working from. That's why.
1: So for me, an adventure is a set series of encounters that has a um, a beginning a middle and an end it sets a problem the resolution of the problem continues until a climax where that uh, resolution comes to fruition okay does that does that make sense yep absolutely can you have okay. can, can I ask you one more question then you sure can, can
0: i can i nest adventures inside of a larger adventure and does that make it a campaign, or can I just have an adventure that is a bunch of, like... Because it sounds like you could have multiple beginning and middles and ends inside of a beginning, a middle, and an end.
1: I would say that you're definitely getting into campaign territory then. Okay. Um, I think that you... I think you can um, nest adventures within adventures. I don't always think that is the best idea. Because what happens is... Depending on the frequency of when you run, your players could lose the thread that they're following in the original adventure to pick up this new adventure.
0: So then can we say for for this discussion that we're going to be having over the course of time that a campaign is really a series of adventures that are connected in some way, shape, or form?
1: I would say that is a great guess. Um, cool. Awesome. All right. Continue. Sorry. Okay. So well, that, that's length of adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you when you flesh out your design, just keep that in mind. You don't have to say, "Well, this is going to run exactly two hours and fifteen minutes," but just know if you're doing, you know, one, two, four, eight, or longer. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's talk about scope yeah. then. So scope is about uh, its impact on
0: the the world around it, like the world that it is set in, right?
1: Correct. You know, how far is this adventure going to take the players? Is the whole adventure going to take place in the tavern? Yeah. Or is is this adventure going to be world-spanning? So Um, scope is really useful in in brief because it
0: it gives you some boundaries to work inside of.
1: Exactly. And as you and I well know, Chris, that those boundaries that you set are going not to restrict you, but they're going to help you. Yes, that's true. Uh, Any restrictions and creativity are always positive. It doesn't even
0: matter what art form you're looking at. Like Mm -hmm. it could be anything from painting to movie making to writing to adventure design, whatever. Restrictions are always going to be good
1: Mm -hmm. because they help you focus your creativity in a certain direction. Very true. Uh, So scope. I'm just going to take a sidebar here. Scope is very important. When you're talking about what level range that you want this adventure to cover, yeah, that is one part of scope, right? Right. Because if you are playing, um, if you're writing, designing, running a first level adventure, you generally want the scope to be more contained than a 20th level adventure. In fact, the best way to differentiate between a low level and a high level adventure is scope. You want the scope in a high-level adventure to be wider because that calls on the p- characters to use all of these powers and spells that they've gained to handle that part of the adventure. Can,
0: can I say that's, that's really important to think about and, and, and remember everybody out there? Because a lot of our pop culture doesn't do a very good job of that. I mean, think of the Lord of the Rings, right? Those, those poor
1: hobbits. They had, mm-hmm. they had no business doing what they were doing. Right. Right. But one of the problems that I see with high-level adventures um, in design is they try to live in the same space as low-level adventures. Well, that's just, right? that's just silly, right? Right. You, you shouldn't have a 20th-level adventure just in a dungeon. Right? A 20th-level adventure should tap the character's abilities to travel to vault various planes and call up on them to you know, rescue a town from a volcano. Yeah, there are, uh, yes, yes, that. We'll, that.
0: we'll talk later about, like, some frameworks are more apt and useful for other types yep. of scopes of adventures. Right. So
1: So that that's scope yep. when, when we think about adventure. Well, I'm sure um, we'll do a whole episode on scope. Okay. Next is type of adventure. And I'm going to let you talk about this because you've, you did better notes for this than I did. All right,
0: so this is this is kind of where I live with, with this kind of stuff. So the type of adventure helps us decide which frameworks we're going to use. Now, frameworks. So a framework is a type of structure that we can hang the details of our adventure on. The structure is going to help inform the gameplay of the adventure and which mechanisms will be highlighted more than others. So, for example, there is... There are, there are the things that we think about as types of adventures, which are like heists or investigations or dungeon crawls or even guard duty, things like that. But those all have a framework associated with them. So like a heist has a box. The box is the thing that you break into to get the thing that you're trying to get out of, get out of it, mm-hmm. right? So the yep. dungeon is the one for dungeon crawling because that's the place that you go explore, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's weird because the dungeon has become synonymous for the, for the, the framework for dungeon crawling right um the trail is one version of how you can put together an investigation you follow a trail of clues
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, there, there are some others there's like the onion or, or the uh the ocean of clues so like you're collecting clues until like you puzzle piece it together but the, that's right. not what, that's a different kind of framework um there's the event event based one so like the guard duty one like usually the guard duty structure will be like well we're guarding somebody and things are going to happen to us it's a very mm-hmm. you are going to react to the things that are happening to you sure yep um the hex map is another exploration one because it is this usually uh, it's a hex map, but is often for wilderness adventuring, right? It is about exploring these these frame these uh, tiles uh, these hexes one at a time to see what's out there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then there are the relationship maps that help with uh, drama. So if you're going to have interpersonal drama, knowing what people want and what their relationships are to each other is the way that you kind of figure out how those dramas will will work. And as a game master and dungeon master will help you react in the proper ways. And those are not all the frameworks. Those are the six ones that I came up with real quick.
1: Right. So just when you sit down to do the adventure, think about these different frameworks and how you are going to, what you want your adventure to do and what is the best framework to do it up. on. Yeah.
0: So like if you're like, uh, we didn't even talk about, like, adventure idea, right? Like, you have to have an idea before you do
1: any of this stuff. Sure. Yeah, sure. But but the, that idea generally starts with one sentence. Correct. Right. So as you take that sentence and you expand it, all of these, uh, the length, the scope, the type, all come into play and help you turn that idea into something that you can actually use. Uh-huh.
0: It is, the, it is how the... um. Having that adventure idea and like the the phrases and whatnot, like that high concept will help you pick the tools out that are that we're talking about here to create your adventure.
1: Mm-hmm. And and I just want to add with with the frameworks, you know, you can say the box as the heist, but you can combine a diff, different framework to make it a unique. thing. Oh yes, we'll we'll talk so you could, all about that yeah. later. Like yeah. you're right, so though, you, Sean. you could have. The box in the dungeon, or you could have the box um, as an event-based thing where the box moves. Um, You know, you could have all sorts of different changes based on this. But these are just the frameworks to start thinking. Yeah,
0: the box can be a couple different things too. Like, and when we talk about these frameworks, we're going to take some time with each of these. I think. Um, Sure. Like the box could be a building, like a giant building, like the Bastille, or the box could be a wagon that is rolling Mm -hmm. along on the street that is being
1: guarded. Right. Or the box could be a character's mind. That too. That is, that is very much a trope in storytelling. <laughs> yep. So anyway, as, as Chris said, we will talk about all of these in detail in later shows as we go through our series here. Uh, but just as an adventure designer, start thinking about these, these tropes, these frameworks for your adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the fourth thing we have is the path of the adventure. Yes. So uh, did I get this
0: right? I put these notes in there
1: yeah no this this is exactly what I was thinking yeah. um, you know is is it going to be a linear adventure so is it going to be an event based one where the characters just go from event to event to event mm-hmm. and um, and there really isn't much need to divert from that because their goal is just following along
0: yeah the trail is also a version of the linear adventure you're following a trail of clues down a path
1: sure uh, branching. So a branching adventure is one where you start with a, um, you start with a goal, and then there are different directions you can go. The the dungeon is often that. True, literally, right? Yeah. You come to a fork. You come to a, an intersection. You can go straight, right, or left. That's that's a literal branch. It,
0: it's it's um, what they are. That's that's literally what they yeah. are. They're, the dungeons are branching unless they're a gauntlet, which you just walk straight through it. Dungeons right. are branching adventure structures.
1: Very true. Um, so that's that's the literal. Figuratively, branching could be: there's a murder you're investigating. You find two clues on the body. One leads you to the docks. One leads you to the cemetery. Which way do you go? That
0: is that that is also a version of that's,
1: branching. That's also a, you know a, a different version of branching. But you know, just think about that in terms of how you want your adventure to flow. What's the path that the characters will take? It's it's nice to have linear adventures sometimes um, because you know what you're getting. You can prepare easily for There's it. There's
0: nothing wrong with linear adventures. and we'll, we'll, We've talked about it before, and we'll talk about it again. Like Linear adventure design that, is a solid, solid adventure mm-hmm. design. You can do a lot of cool stuff with it.
1: Right. Uh, branching also cool if you feel like your players are people who want agency, who want more uh, choice in what they do and that's that's cool too. And the the final one we have here is sandbox, which is you set them down in the middle of a problem and say go where you're going to.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's that's
1: even a little bit trickier too because
0: usually wherever you set them down there's going to be a box that they're inside of. So you have to make sure that you build it so they don't wander outside of your this this sandbox too, not to mm-hmm. confuse it with the box.
1: Right. Yep. So think about how your 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 adventure is going to flow. Now The more linear adventure, the more linear your adventure, the more control you have over things like timing and encounter design. Mm -hmm. Um, If you get into branching and sandbox adventures, uh, you're going to lose control of that timing, uh, encounter design, encounter sequence, uh, but you are going to open up the World a bit to the whims of the dm or the players um, if you're writing for for publication
0: yes yes it's a it's a very different kind of look from what people often see in adventures too
1: yep now the next thing you put is the important thing when you're talking about path yes what's the beginning, and where's the end of? uh-huh yep, so as long as you know that at the start of your design, then you can better uh better design the encounters that will lead players from that beginning to that intended end yeah and i will i will say like i
0: said what's the intended ending the reason i say that is because what is your beginning and then i think it's important to note and i think a lot of people don't do this like what is what does success look like and what does failure look like
1: mm-hmm. it, yes And a a tip I gave on Twitter a while ago was, you know, I usually once I get an idea, I write the ending and then I work my way backward.
0: Yeah, I saw that. I was wondering if you wrote if you wrote that because you were reading the adventure
1: that I wrote for Ironetta. (laughs) Uh, Trying to think. No. No. Okay. Good. I don't think so. I think it just it just kind of came up because I was like, um, they're
0: going to fight this giant thing at the end, regardless. But I need like a fail state, which is like, oh look, they got right. there too late and the holdfast got destroyed.
1: No, but that that is a great example of what's the intended ending. It, it, it's these two scenarios. So you start, then you go back where you're starting from, and what leads to those two states—the success or fail. Uh huh. Yeah, and and that's a perfectly. Cromulent way to design uh, an adventure, and then of course the middle part, which
0: is always the hardest, and that's uh, for the purpose of this discussion. Is I usually say, what frameworks do you use in the middle to connect things?
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, and one thing that people often when I when I review an adventure, the clarity is is the first problem I see most. Just clarity of writing, clarity of language, clarity of getting across the point. Um, The second most, uh, I don't want to say failed thing, but the second most uh, significant problem are transitions between encounters. You know, why are the characters going from the cemetery to the docks? Mm -hmm. You as the writer are assuming they're going to but oftentimes there isn't a compelling compelling reason to do so. Yeah, you need strong
0: pointers to get people to go to places. That's what I call them anyway, pointers. Like yep. go here. That's what the arrow It's like a giant arrow, mm-hmm. but you're trying to hide it in text and and presentation.
1: Yep. So, uh always think about that flow from encounter to encounter within the overall concept of the adventure.
0: Uh and the last thing is is like what is the purpose of this adventure that you are writing? Mm-hmm. So, like is it going to be part of a campaign like if that's a very different thing to write as an adventure than to write something that is you know something that's supposed to be dropped into a campaign because if it's supposed to be dropped into a campaign then you need to leave the beginning um kind of like with a bunch of hooks for people to get into it and and sort of advice for how to settle that into a pre-established campaign or is this thing intended to be just set by itself Mm -hmm. did i miss anything for purpose of the adventure
1: Um, not really, not really. Um, I mean, there are other purposes that you could think about for an adventure. Um, you know, what do you want the characters to learn?
0: Ah, that's okay. See, that's, but so the
1: thematic, what's the thematic material, right? But, but that is also all wrapped up. in is it part of a campaign, Mm -hmm. right? Because if it's not a part of a campaign, the only thing you probably want them to learn is how did we how did we get to our goal right but if it's part of an overall campaign then you have to look beyond the adventure to say the reason they did this adventure is to rescue the prince but also learn that in the next adventure this cult who captured the prince is working on a different plot that they need to then go investigate this is when it's good to have like a campaign bible right Mm, yes oh very so, much so I mean
0: you can see this, um, this kind of work if you want a really clear example and I know, I know it's not Dungeons and Dragons but if you go look at the Pathfinder adventure paths mm-hmm. there are six books often six different adventures and they all connect together and they usually do mm-hmm. a very good job story wise of, of connecting earlier stuff to later stuff right so not that, not that I'm saying that you should go buy Pathfinder stuff because it's a D&D podcast but you know that's a good
1: example Sure. So those are the major, I would say, overarching uh, concepts to think about when you set down to design an adventure. And and as we go through our uh, series on adventure design, we're going to take a look in depth at each of these things, plus even dig deeper into subtopics based on yeah. them.
0: I feel like we'll be talking about this for the rest of the year, or at least a good, yeah, I- a good 20 weeks.
1: Yeah, I could see it, that happening. Uh, again, maybe throwing in different shows if something important comes oh, up. Oh, of course. But, I
0: mean, we, yeah. but, but at least we have something that we, you can all depend on. Like, we'll always have a topic.
1: <laughs> yep. And more importantly, if you have questions that you want us to cover or topics that you want us to cover as part of this series on Adventure Design, hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what questions you have so we can make sure we answer them. Yeah, just
0: uh, mister at Mr Ectomark on Twitter at, at Sean Merwin on Twitter. Yep. We that's that's really where we're at right now. Uh, soon we'll have a soon we'll have a forum. So that that'll be the new place to go, but you know There you go. Until then. <laughs> yeah. Well that was really fun. I really enjoyed that that overview show. Y- you yep. know what's gonna be really interesting to me as I, I take more time than I should be? Uh, the last time we talked about some of these things Like we've talked about scope and we've talked about Mm -hmm. some of these things, not exactly the way that we're presenting them, but but we've talked about them before, but it was before you were doing this full time. You've had a a good chunk of time now doing this as your job. So I'm really curious as to see what your uh, viewpoint is on all this stuff now.
1: You know what, Chris? So am I. I'm very <laughs> interested to see what I think about this. <laughs> all
0: right. Let's, uh, thanks, everybody, so much for listening. Let's do some Patreon shout-outs. Um, Eileen Barnes, Andy Olsen, Brian Kurtz, Christopher Gray, Craig Just Craig, Donnie Harville, Eric Bontz, the Wargator, which I'm looking forward to seeing him in a couple of di- in like a day, uh, GM Gerrymander, Jesse Edmund, John C. LeMay, John Carney, Kevin Lovecraft, Merrick Blackman, who we all love around here. Uh, Mike Dinos and Pallydian, thank you so much for being our patrons. And speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Down with D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the
1: website and for a paltry two dollars a month, you can get yourself a shout out. Or for the low, low price of four dollars a month, you not only get a shout out, but you also so get ac- you also get access to our show notes and access to our Slack room on the misdirected Mark Slack. Where you can chat with us directly. Mm -hmm. That's a really good place to ask us questions because we never miss those. That's true.
0: If you can't help us monetarily but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with an Apple podcast review.
1: You know the deal on those. They help. Since many other podcatchers use Apple Podcasts. Helping by reviewing us gets us more exposure, and we really love that.
0: Mm-hmm. By the way, I just want to say thank you, everybody who has reviewed us, and all the people who do listen. I mean, I know how m- there's better metrics now on how how many people are listening to us, and the the 1500 of you who listen to us regularly, I appreciate it. Yes, uh, Sean, where can we find you on the internet?
1: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin or on uh, Twitter as the Mad Wizard at Menagerie Wizard.
0: Uh, You can hit me up at MisdirectedMark, as I mentioned before, on Twitter. Or you can just go to the website. Like, that's also a place that you can comment, because we have a social media person who throws those comments at us, so we never really miss them. You can also listen to other great shows, such as this one, Zhang Yu Hustle. Train alongside fellow students Eric Farmer and Eli Kirst in Zhang Yu Hustle. Eric and Eli make their kung fu stronger by watching wuxia films, and then discussing how to apply their observations to
1: game design. And they're designing a game, too, which is pretty bad. Pretty cool. Down with DD is a misdirected mark production. The media arm of encoded design. Hey Sean Buddy Old Pal, what are we gonna do now? We're going to go kill some carefully curated, plot-specific monsters.
0: You're down with D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D. You're down with D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D.
1: Yeah, you know we down with We down with D and D.